Good morning. morning. Pastor James, he's a decent friend. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He's a great friend. We've journeyed through uh, many, many days and nights of talking about theology, talking about church. Uh, When we, um, just lots of wonderful, wonderful times together. We always get in trouble because Kim's like, where is James? Whenever he hangs out with us, he's never home. So uh, Kim, we're sorry if if you're watching this. We just love your husband. Mark 4. Imagine, if you will, Jesus is standing on the shores of Galilee Sea. A large crowd has gathered around him. You know what? I'm going to step back because I realize how much my neck hurt from being so close to the screen. Um, And Jesus captures this moment, begins to teach about values, new values of this new kingdom that has come with him. And he doesn't just tell us principles or ideas, but he tells us stories. Why? Because stories are powerful. We love stories. Well, some of you guys stayed up till 1 a.m. watching stories on Netflix, Disney+, Plus, whatever, because we love stories. Stories are powerful. And Jesus knew through these stories can only not only move our minds but also our hearts and these stories are known to us as parables and these parables have the remarkable ability again not only to captivate our mind but also our hearts so through this parable in mark 4 jesus reminds you and i the power of listening tell somebody we're here to listen today we're here to listen today some of you guys are like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not that's sure. I'm sorry. I won't, I won't do that again. Not simply showing up. I mean, showing up post-COVID, showing up to church is actually a big deal. We're very thankful as pastors when you guys show up to church. But Jesus says showing up is not enough. Jesus says you've got to hear well. And as someone who regularly preaches at our church, Pastor James, we talk about preaching a lot. We always nerd out about preaching. Um, I love this passage because so much of the focus of Sunday can be about us preachers. After service, you guys go get coffee, go to lunch in your small group. Wow, pastor was amazing today. Or pastor was not, right? He was theologically not right. I'm going to write him an email, right? We get emails. And all of us, we want thought-provoking, engaging, relevant, well-organized, easy-to-follow, passionate, impactful, empathetic, 25-minute sermons, right? (laughs) Which is not realistic. Not realistic. But yes, we need good preaching, and that's part of our job. And I know you have a wonderful team of preachers here. Pastor James is a wonderful preacher. I don't say that to everywhere I go. Pastor James is actually a wonderful preacher. God's gifted him to preach. Preach the word. That's why we have this connection. Yet, so much of the focus can be on us preachers. But guess what? Jesus turns the table and says, what about those that come and listen? Again, you can have great teaching. Yet, we need those who are willing to hear and hear well. Amen? So verse 3, we're going to just walk through this parable. A sower goes out to plant some seeds. 
It's the same seed. Every soil gets same seed. It's the same sore. Only difference is actually the soil, the type of soil. There are four that Jesus presents to us. And three out of four will not be fruitful, which is the purpose of any farmer sowing seeds is to be what? Yes, people like flowers. Yes, we like the activity, the laboring. But ultimately, true farmer wants fruit. That's really the reason why farmers farm. Verse 4, the first soil. We'll just walk through four soils. First soil. Some seed fell along a walking path, a type of hard ground. And Jesus says, when it fell, the birds immediately came and devoured it. Jesus gives. So, so really, the scene is Jesus teaches in front of a huge crowd this parable. And then he has a time away with his disciples. And he's like, did you guys understand what I was saying? And they're like, obviously, no. And so Jesus is explaining Right? Verse 15, he says, the, the soil that, the, the seed that fell on hard ground is like this, the seed where birds come and devour it because it fell on walking path. And Jesus says, verse 15, these birds that Jesus talks about represents Satan who comes to distract us from hearing God's word well. You see, that's one of the primary ways Satan keeps God's people from being fruitful. Right? Satan knows if God's people truly can plant themselves in the truth of God's promises, we are going to grow. Because the seed is amazing. The soil is amazing. Satan, so Satan knows what he can do is he can distract us. That's been his playbook from the very beginning. Genesis 3, verse 1. He comes to Adam and Eve. God creates this beautiful garden and says, you could have anything but that one tree. Do not touch it. And Satan comes. What does he say? Genesis, 1, Genesis 3, verse 1. Did God really tell you you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Causes confusion. Eve's, Eve's there. Eve's hearing. Well, God didn't say that. There's, there's doubt and confusion. Does God really love us? By twisting God's truth and promise, Satan distracts and devours God's word from being planted in us. Because again, Satan fears no, no one more than a person whose life is planted in the truth of God's promises. So case in point, even as you are sitting here this morning, right? Even as we were making our way here, you know what Pastor James is thinking about? Maybe, possibly. We're, I asked Pastor James to pick me up today because we, we're neighbors now. Uh, and I, I wanted my wife and kids to have the car, right? Because I'm a good husband. I'm a good, 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 good guy, right? Um, and then we're on our way, and I think we must have hit a bump pretty hard. So the bottom of his car kind of fell out, the plastic part. So Pastor James is probably thinking, I got to travel tomorrow. I got this car thing. He's not, he's not, he's not. But he could be distracted. I'm distracted by your car. I'm like, oh my goodness, you're going to travel tomorrow. You'll be distracted. Perhaps you are distracted by argument you had with your coworker or on your way to church with your spouse or with your friend. Perhaps you're distracted by a project at work. You have notifications going off at, at this moment. You're tempted to open up and, and reply to that email. But distracted by all the things that you want to do today. It's a day off. It's a nice day. Want to get out, get the sun, get good coffee, hang out with someone I like. Maybe. It's always something. Whenever we approach God's word, there is always temptation to be distracted. In fact, sometimes we don't even make it to church because we are post-COVID. 
it takes a lot for thank you guys for being here. It takes a lot for you guys to make it to church. You can wake up, kid is sick, well, we'll just watch home. You wake up, friend calls, what are you doing today? I was gonna, oh, let's go hang out. Right? It's easier to be very distracted. And in our fast-paced, interconnected, modern culture, being distracted is norm. Throughout my week, I have two daughters. One is five, one is eight. My daughters tell me, Dad, get off the phone. <laughs> because I'm, my daughter, yesterday, she's like, I, I learned how to play this song. I want you to hear it. And I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm trying to focus, right? But then I was in the middle of a conversation on, on my text. And I'm just like, okay, okay. And, and my daughter knows. Dad, you're always distracted. You're always distracted. I'm not going to get those moments back. And I know in my mind, I'm not going to get those moments back. My daughter, in what, five years, are not going to want to hang out with me. Are not going to want to play the piano for me. I know it in my head. Yet I cannot get myself to focus for those 30 seconds. Because I'm always distracted. It's because our devices, our iPhones, our Samsung phones, or whatever, you, your Pixel phones, if you're not normal, uh, whatever phones you use, they're designed to be addictive. Constant demanding of our focus, tempting us with instant gratification, that thing. If you have an Apple Watch, that, that bell, the way they've designed the vibration, it's like, oh, I feel good. It's, it's like they, they, they do this so that we are addicted to these buzzing and notifications. Never-ending supply of entertainment. Like we... It's really hard for us to go to a cafe and sit there for 20 minutes without looking at our phone. One, people think you're a psycho. Second, because if you're not looking at your phone, it's really weird that you're like looking at people. But, but two, it's, we're just so programmed to be distracted. We, we have three, three different displays going, watching something on our Netflix, on our computer. We have our phone, we're doing something else. And imagine now, no one has physical Bibles. We have our devices, and we have our Bibles living in those devices. Guess what? When you're reading God's Word, what happens? Email comes up. Notification comes up. All of a sudden, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy for Satan to distract us. So let me pray for us, even now. Let's pray. Lord, we, we, we have carried much to this place today. We pray, Father, for your spirit to help us focus, not to be distracted, to hear from your word. Be gracious to us. Just let me pray. Amen. That's first soil. Second soil, verse 5, rocky ground. Looking at the original Greek, this is not a plot of land with many little rocks but a plot of land underneath a thin layer of soil, there is a large piece of bedrock. I drew that for you guys, illustration. Underneath the soil, there's this huge rock preventing the seed from being planted deeply. Right? There is joy. There is instant growth. But because the soil is, soil is blocked by this bedrock, any hardship, rain, or wind... When they come, what happens? The seed goes with it. 
Verse 16, Jesus says, These are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, yet they have no root in themselves, so they endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, if tribulation arises, if things get hard, if life gives you lemons. It says what? When. Not if, but when. When tribulation comes, when persecution comes, when your faith is challenged, when you face hardships and setbacks. Friends, as you follow Jesus, there'll be times when obeying Jesus will become hard and challenging. There'll be a time where obeying Jesus, following Jesus, it will challenge you to choose whether that's regarding finances, opportunities, relationships. Why? Because faith, through our faith, we have been given a new identity. Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, talks about this over and over again, that you are not what? You are citizens of new kingdom. You are resident aliens of this world. You will face trials and troubles. That's just reality of what it means to follow Jesus. Look at Jesus' life. His life was filled with trials and tribulation. Look at all the apostles, all the disciples of Jesus. Their life was filled with trials and tribulation. And when we turn around, we're like, our lives should, shouldn't be filled with trials and tribulation. In fact, listen to Apostle Peter as Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 4. He just says it very plainly. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The truth is, I am always surprised when there's troubles and trials challenges in ministry, in life, in my marriage, in my parenting. I'm always, I'm like, God, why? I'm a pastor. I'm serving you. Why is it so hard? Because deep down inside, I assume, you assume, we assume, if we do our best to obey Jesus, life should not, life should get better and not harder. So whenever we face hard and difficult things in life, often it's not faith that comes out. It's what? It's fear. It's doubt. It's wanting to control. It's mistrust. Because why? Faith is hard. Faith is not, if, you, if you're just joining us and you're like, oh, I'm going to go to church today for the first time. Let me tell you straight up. Faith is not easy. Trusting Jesus is not easy. Holding on to God's promises over your life while you're waiting, it's not easy. Doubt is easy. Complaining to God is easy. Wanting answers is easy. But faith requires that you and I continue to come to Jesus weekly, daily, to sit at his feet and says, Jesus, would you encourage me? Because faith is hard. Would you give me faith? Because faith is also a gift that you give us. 
Pastor Edmund Cloudy, writer and a pastor, Edmund Clowney, he says this, and I'll quote, talks about trials and tribulation. And he says, trials should not surprise us, just like what Peter says, or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. Rather, we should be actually glad for them. Because God sends trials to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting they burn away our self-confidence and drive us to our Savior. Trials, friends, struggles at work, struggles at home, financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, these trials, friends, they're designed to burn away our self-confidence and to drive us to our Savior. In fact, it's through these seasons of crisis, God grows you and I. 15 years of ministry, I've seen it all, guys. I've seen it all. Many times I told Pastor James, I'm done, James. I'm ready. I'm ready to do something else. I'll sell cars. I'll share insurance. I'm good. I, told James, I literally told James, I'm good. I've seen it all. And the major lessons that God continues to teach me year after year is that I am too self-confident, that I'm too self-reliant, that I'm too arrogant to actually come to Jesus, to sit at his feet and say, Jesus, what do you want out of my life? God continues to use these trials and challenges and my kids as lessons to burn away so that I can lead and serve from what Jesus offers me, what Jesus offers you. Amen? That's like half of you guys. Other you guys, no, I don't like my trials. It's all right. I'll take that. Because some of you guys, let's be real, are facing some real hard, difficult things. Even this moment, as you're sitting here, you're being distracted because you have some challenges. Crisis of life, whether that's financial, relational, physical. But here's a wonderful reminder, right? Do not keep pursuing God. Do not keep coming to him. Keep following him. Keep on trusting because a lie that Satan loves to tell you and I, the lie that I heard in my darkest times of doing ministry, is what? God is not with you. God does not care you got to figure it out yourself. you got to be stronger, smarter, wiser, work harder, get yourself out of this trouble and trials. That's the lie. That's the temptation to take control. Some of you guys are like, no, I, that's not me. I just give up. Others of you guys, it's like taking control of the situation and saying, I just got to be better. And again, 15 years of ministry, more than once, I've accused God of leaving me out to dry. I've accused God of not caring, not being present, of many things. Yet when I look back on my own messy journey, the mistakes I made, the challenges I faced, I can confidently tell you it's through those seasons God has done his best work. When you're in the fire, you hate it. I'll tell you right now. Like when you're in the fire, you hate it. When you're out of the fire... After a few years of looking back to what, what happened, you might not understand everything, but you can land in a place saying, God, you taught me through that, that you were there with me. 
You carry me through it. It's not my steadfastness. It's your steadfastness. It's your mercy that is chasing. It's your goodness coming after me. Not me. Not mine. He has done that for me. And he will do that for you. Amen? Okay, like a quarter of you guys now. Got you. Okay. The third soil... Verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the word and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. It proves unfruitful. He identifies three precise obstacles. The cares of the word, world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. The cares of the word, world refers to the worries and anxieties that can consume our hearts. My wife is a therapist. Anxiety is our epidemic. Anxiety in our modern culture, that's the norm. We are distracted. Anxiety is also the norm. The cares of the word, again, that's the anxiety, the deceitfulness of riches points to allure and the deceptive nature of having more things. You got iPhone 12, you want iPhone 13. You got iPhone 13, you want iPhone 14. You got iPhone 14, you want the Pixel. I'm, I'm kidding, you don't want the Pixel. Keep the iPhone 14. The allure of next best thing, better car, better house, better status, better title. The desire for other things, Jesus says, and everything else you desire, all the cravings that you have outside of those things. These three precise things that Jesus points out are distinct obstacles. Yes, they are. Yet, they are interconnected if you think about it. In fact, if you put those three, th three things together, it can be summed up as a one major obstacle. What's that? It's the thorn of a person whose heart is divided. It's the thorn of a person whose heart is divided. Friends, what Jesus is saying is that the turf of our hearts, your heart, my heart, Pastor James's heart, maybe not Pastor James, I don't want to call him out, my heart, let's come back to me. We all have something that is in competition with the affection and commitment to Jesus. Whether that's our pursuit of love, money, influence, acceptance, or identity, or even good things like providing for your family. Good things like being a good husband or being a good wife. Good things like creating a home. They're in competition with their affection for Jesus, their affection for who Jesus is. Martin Luther, the reformer, he wrote, am I allowed to, Martin Luther here? Baptist Church, is it okay? Martin Luther, all right? Am I in a safe place? Martin Luther wrote a book for younger pastors called Large Catechism. It's not a very creative guy. Large Catechism, obviously, because it's large. Um, where he lays out his understanding of the Ten Commandments. Large Catechism, Ten Commandments. And Luther says, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is the foundational piece to everything else. The nine other commandments really fall on the first one. First one is the foundation. It's the one that sets the tone. And if you can do the first one right, all the other nine ones will be aligned. It's the cornerstone of the Ten Commandments. 
And when the first commandment of having no other gods before me, when our hearts are not divided, it acts as a guiding principle that influences our interaction with world, others, and shapes our obedience. So Jesus is saying it's, when he's talking about the third soil of the thorns, he's really talking about our hearts that yearn for idols, yearn for things to worship, things to captivate our mind and our heart, things that are in direct competition with God's word in us. Luther says, this is a very well-known quote, maybe you've heard it before, whatever your heart clings to, confides in, that is really your God. You could say, I love Jesus, I come to church, I'm a Christian. But Luther says, unless Jesus is what our hearts truly cling to, what our hearts truly confide in, he's not really your functional savior. He may be an imaginary savior, but not a functional one. And friends, when Jesus remains merely as our imaginary savior, our Sunday savior, but not Monday through Saturday, we cannot be fruitful. We cannot truly grow. We may receive the word with joy. We may do a lot of things with excitement. But true growth is not going to happen because our hearts are divided. And you're like, gosh, this is a depressing sermon, isn't it? Wow, what are you doing here? I thought this was to be uplifting. I got it, guys. Fourth and final soil. Verse 20. The good soil. Everyone say the good soil. The good soil. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. The Greek grammar used for the verb to hear in verse 20 are unlike the previous three. You can't, you can't see it in the English language, but in the Greek, right? They're different in verse 20. The, 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 the grammar is different. The Greek grammar used for the verb to hear in verse 20, only here is in present continuous tense. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, I, that, that literally means, signifies a posture of active, attentive, alert listening. In fact, the highest quality of listening, not like me when my daughter plays the piano, but highest quality, dropping everything and saying, let, let me hear you play. And Jesus makes clear distinction about the type of hearing in verse 20 compared to the rest of three previous soils. These are the people who approach their Sundays with reverence and humility. These are the people who root themselves in the truth of God's word through trials and storms and challenges. Yes, they're hard. Yes, they're tiring. Yes, they create fear and doubt, but you still say, well, God's word says, I'm here, so I'm here. And those who continue to take inventory of their hearts to make sure all the competing loves are put in right order after Jesus. But I don't want to end our time there, even though that's remarkable. But you know what's more remarkable about this passage? Any investors here? Any financial investors? Okay, Pastor James, all right. He could buy you lunch. Invest, maybe not, not a good year for investors. But if you think about investing 30, 60, 100 times, 
I've just invested into a small business. If I could get 10, 10 times back, right, I'd be like, I'm in, man. 30, 60, 100x. You're like, we're not farmers, so we don't understand. But this is a crazy amount of return. This is like Apple money. When you first, when I, before the iPhone 1 came out, you went into Apple, that's Apple money. You kept that, those stocks, that's Apple money. Probably none of you guys did, but it's okay. Yet Jesus says that's the power of God's word because the highlight, we think, oh, we gotta be, we got to be good listeners. Yes, but really the highlight is the sower and the seed. Friends, here Jesus is speak, speaking about the uncanny reality of what happens when God's word invades our lives. This parable is so much more than our ability or our inability to hear God because honestly, to be frank, we're not good hearers. It's really about inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And kingdom of God entering, invading, taking root in a world that is desperately broken. So this means the astounding harvest that Jesus promises here in our passage is not a wishful thinking or simply our burden to carry, but it is the reality of God's kingdom made possible only through the life and the death of Jesus Christ, the living word. Friends, although we are often distracted, Jesus is not. Although we are often fickle, Jesus is not. Although we are often overwhelmed with the storms of life, Jesus is not. Jesus enters the boat. And friends, this is the essence of the gospel, and we'll end here, and I promise, I'm not one of those preachers that will end here, it's another 30 minutes, we'll end here. By the way, kids, you guys are amazing. My, can we give them a hand? By this, they're amazing. By this time, my house, we're going, I'm turning on the TV, I'm doing whatever I can. Amazing, thank you guys. This is the essence of God's will end here. It's only through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You hear this every week from Pastor James. Our fickle hearts are now reshaped, renewed, and restored. Jesus overcame every temptation. Every temptation endured every suffering and conquered death itself. He did that for you. He did that for me. And therefore, he has renewed the soil of our hearts. He has silenced the evil one. The birds cannot enter this field. He has removed the stones. He has removed the thorns of our hearts so that we can hear and begin to listen. That's the wonderful nature of what we are being invited to every time we open Scripture. Amen? Should I go on more? No, I'll, I'll land the plane here. Let me, friends, whatever you are facing this morning, I have no idea. I'm just a guest speaker. I'll, I'll run off right after this because I have to catch my service. I have no idea. Pastor James might know, but some of your struggles, he might not know. And you might be going through something real, real challenging things that you haven't been able to share with anybody. And maybe you feel very alone in that place, lonely in that place, can't find ways to get out of it. Here's my encouragement. Jesus is with you. He goes before you. 
He is for you. He is with you. And He will continue to walk with you. Doesn't mean He'll get you out of that storm. Doesn't mean He'll get you out of that situation. The most comforting thing about following Jesus is not that He's going to remove all these storms and challenges. It's that we have somebody. I've been married for 10 years. You know what's the best thing about marriage? I'll keep it PG. Best thing about marriage? It's to have someone with you through the hardship, through the difficulty, through the challenges, to, to come home and see Lois and says, I'm good. To see each other and says, I got your back. You can share with me. Not every day sometimes, right? We, 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 yeah, sometimes, right? But Jesus will do that for you. So I want to encourage you. Won't you spend a few minutes? Even now, let me give you a moment. So just pray. We just take a moment to pray. What's praying? You're new to church? What's praying? Just talking to God. God, my situation is, is hard. God, my, my boss, I, wanna, I want him to go away. Legally. Maybe illegally. I don't know. But God, my kids drive me crazy. Whatever it is. Can we take a moment before I pray? Can I give you a moment? Can I have the worship team come up? Play nice music to encourage praying. Um, yeah, I'm going to just come before Lord. Lord, this is what's in my heart. Let's pray.